Thank you, Karen. On a Sunday like this, when we have a, the Foundation's Legacy Brunch, it's a great time to talk about all things Foundation. And at this time in our own congregational journey, it's about what is our Foundation as we move forward? Great question. On the front of the bulletin, the name of the sermon is wrong. That's from last week. Um, it's your... You're, put, you're putting me on. That's the name of the title of the sermon. Let's pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You heard the words read. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. How much does sin weigh? Ask Jesus. He bore the weight of a broken humanity, our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses, and bad choices, our diseases, doubts, and afflictions. So God doesn't distance himself from these things and the people who experience them. And that's you and me, right? This is where God shows up in our lives. Soon we'll be putting on our heavy coats for winter. Yay! We hear it for winter. Winter's coming. Luther said that Jesus accepts us as we are and puts on our humanity. It's also in Scripture, that phrase. Puts on our humanity, wears our brokenness like a very heavy coat and bears the weight for us. All this so that we might be healed and find relief. Yet many a church is built on the idea that God loves the winners in the world and then forms the winner's circle. Somebody, some pastor in the Twin Cities has the winner's circle thing going, right? The prosperity gospel preached by many suggests that if you are a good Christian, you will be prosperous. Not just any Christian, but a good one. Then you will be rewarded financially. So God gets linked to winning and affluence and success. And when we struggle in life and feel like losers, it confirms to us that God must have abandoned us because of who we are. That's one big reason, year in and year out, that people stop showing up at church when they feel like they're not qualified anymore. But increasingly, People out there in our neighborhoods experience a different twist on this. It's not so much that they feel like they're not good enough. They see people in churches judging them as not worthy, and this strikes our neighbors in the non-church world as self-righteous, hypocritical, and downright mean. And let's face it, often they're right. We ought to listen to them. And sensing a lot of bad news coming out of organized religion they are not attracted at all to what we're doing. 
how can we in the church, a church like ours, lead with the good news instead of the bad news? The good news that Jesus accepts us in all our brokenness and puts us on. Even people who don't even fit in around here, he puts them on. Luther taught that in Jesus, God offers us a happy exchange. Remember the happy exchange, Max? Max helped demonstrate. We're going to keep coming back to that. In this exchange, Jesus' death wasn't some sort of penalty or payment to be made in the courtroom of life. Rather, in Christ, God puts on humanity and carries our messy, painful human existence takes our weight. In return, we get participation in God's life. We're given life. Free gift. No conditions to be met. Because we couldn't meet them anyway. And as baptized believers, we, now we participate in the life of God. Think about that. And are invited to consider life from God's perspective. Now, Rumor has it our strategic uh, plan and vision is confusing to many. It's okay. A simple way of understanding that vision is this. Each and every day, saying to yourself and asking yourself, now that I have been invited to participate in the life of God, what is God up to in the world and how am I a part of it? What is God up to in the world, and how am I a part of it? Or, what is God up to in my life today? The faith practices that we talk about are always asking that question of discernment. And that's why any committee meeting or board meeting is or ought to be asking, what is God up to, and how are we a part of it? Everything else in our meetings is merely footnotes to that question. And if we're a part of what God is up to, now we're putting on our neighbor, just as God did with us. What is happening in the lives of our neighbors matters to us because it matters to God. That's what it means to pick up our own cross and follow Jesus. The cross is the weight of forming community with the people around you. Their lives have weight, and so does yours, and we bear that weight together in the name of Jesus Christ. So how do we put on our neighbors? Pick up our own cross. Instead of trying only to attract people to us, churches have tried that for many years, Maybe we have to be attracted to our neighbors more in the spirit of putting on our neighbor and taking their lives seriously, their hopes, dreams, and struggles. More on that theme in two weeks. But of course, putting on your neighbor starts with each other, doesn't it? I mean, with us right here in this sanctuary. We're neighbors to each other. We get to practice with each other. Building Christian community means sharing burdens, putting each other on in this community. 
that has been gathered at the foot of the cross. None of this means that we should spill our guts indiscriminately, but we can share how our lives are going with trusted members in the right group setting. We can pray for each other. We can be honest about our struggles with each other and likely find out we're not alone. I'll never forget our monthly meetings with confirmation parents at my former church. We were equipping parents for faith practices at their homes with their families. We had taught them five basic practices that can be done in, in, in one sitting. We went through those during, uh, during Lent, at the Lenten uh, series on, on God is Loose in, in Your House. And those five are sharing your highs and lows for the week, reading a passage of Scripture and talking about it for a minute, praying for each other in the world, and then sharing a blessing with each other. So, the parents were trying out these practices during uh, the month in between our our meetings as uh, parents and pastors. Then once a month, the parents would gather with me while their kids were in confirmation class. They'd check in with each other in their little small groups, and then we'd talk as a large group. I remember one night they shared in their small groups some frustration, that it was so hard to find the time and energy to, to do this, you know, these, these five. It was kind of a burden to them, being honest. But they found great comfort in realizing that the other parents were going through the same thing. So they, could, they had this... Uh, uh, putting each other on business. It was then in the large group that I decided to confess something about my own experience. I, I, I said to the whole group, in our family, um, all four of us are pretty tired at the end of a long day, and pretty uh, distracted and uh, sometimes grumpy. <laughs> so do we usually get through all five practices on any given night? <laughs> Not a chance. Some nights, we'll be lucky to do uh, one or two, if any. And after this, I thought, oh, great example you are, Pastor John. But when I said this, the parents, first they looked kind of surprised, and then they looked relieved as they let out a breath. One of the parents said, Pastor John, that makes... That makes us feel so much better to hear. You have the same challenges that we do in our house. The whole experience with me and with each other helped folks be realistic about finding maybe one thing, a new crack or opportunity or window in their family rhythm that opens the door a little wider for God and for relationships. Maybe that's progress. Luther had a term for meeting with each other in groups. Wrestling with faith and life, sharing struggles in caring community. He called it the mutual conversation and consolation of the saints. Sounds very grand, doesn't it? Mutual conversation and consolation. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need consoling. (laughs) And it takes another person to console me. For Luther, this was as important as the sacraments. And it starts with our families. Hebrews puts it this way, and I quote, And let us consider how to encourage one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. 
What happens if you base a whole faith community on Jesus accepting us in our brokenness and putting us on? Jesus, you're putting me on. A recent mission start is in downtown Los Angeles and began with this question. What if we planted a multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic church in downtown L.A. that reaches out to both the Skid Row residents and the new loft dwellers? Loft dwellers, he upwardly mobile. What if? That's the question. This is about 10 years ago. Many would say this is crazy. I mean, it has been noted that the most segregated hour in America is from 9.30 to 10.30 on Sunday morning. Yes, churches talk a good game, but we're usually quite homogenous. But consider this, that Jesus has gathered a broken humanity at the foot of the cross, offering a happy exchange, regardless of any category of humanity that you might find yourself in, economically, racially, politically, spiritually. The divisions we regularly experience are ones we introduce, not Jesus. And so I give you New City Church in L.A. Check that out on your, next time you get on your smartphone or, or computer. New City Church in L.A., the most diverse church in America, cutting across all sorts of lines that we normally set up for ourselves. So there are, quite literally, skid row members of the church and upwardly mobile professionals. There's educated and non-educated, heterosexual and GLBTQ, and so on. It's also interesting to note, this is not a liberal church, as you might expect, or a conservative one, but embraces both and is defined by neither. That's because it's defined by the foundation, which is Jesus. The pastor of the church, Kevin Ha, writes, and this is the key, how did such a community come about? That seems impossible that a community like that would come together, right? The foundation of our church, there's that word again, is the belief that we are all messed up people living in God's grace. We constantly teach that our life, worth, and identity come by grace. We have become a come-as-you-are church. It is so good to be a part of a church that allows messiness to be the norm. In many ways, this creates the freedom for people to be themselves and to love one another and be loved as they are, end of quote. Powerful stuff, isn't that? Easier said than done, but what a beautiful vision. That's our foundation. That's it. That's it. It's no surprise that the kind of small groups that took hold in New City, after they struggled with this for a while, what will our you know, small groups look like, were what they eventually called grow and serve groups. These are groups where members grow together in their faith and serve the city. All the groups do those two things. They currently have 15 active grow and serve groups. It's not a huge church at all. It's probably, I don't know, about the same size as ours. Now, I don't bring this up because I think Mount Carmel should be a new city church. Very different context, history, all that. I do bring it up because it is a church based on Luther's happy exchange. That's relevant to us. A church based on the idea that Jesus has put us on, invites us to be our broken, honest selves, and creates a, a space for neighbors to do the same. For Mount Carmel, all that means 
is learning to become more of what we already are in Christ Jesus. Many of us here, I know, have experienced growth and serving right here in our community. But it is a growth area for us. What does Mount Carmel's future look like when God creates a culture where more and more we learn and practice putting each other on? We await the answer as we go on our journey. Amen.